today is the last day of our, our message on, on heaven. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 and Philippians chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and Philippians chapter 1. I'll be reading those passages of Scripture in just a moment. Of all the books that I've mentioned to you that I've used as resources, and some of you have those, uh, Randy Alcorn is um, the one that has the most extensive uh, words in there, and he makes mention uh, toward the end of his book about some writings of C.S. Lewis. Now, you've heard me mention that over the almost six months that I've been with you as your interim, uh, mention C.S. Lewis. And in his Chronicles of Narnia, in the very last book of that particular series, it's called The Last Battle. And uh, he, he mentions uh, the chapter one of the, of the great story, chapter one of the great story. And C.S. Lewis uh, is quoted by Randy, and I want to read you what he has to say. And it says, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. And if you understand the Chronicles of Narnia, Jesus is portrayed as a lion through, uh, throughout the series, and most of us are aware of the lion the witch in the wardrobe, that movie, and so dramatically presents him as a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot write them. And for this is the end of the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. One of the purposes of sharing this sermon series with you these uh, last uh, seven Sundays and today, the eighth Sunday, is to help us understand even more and more what is awaiting for us on the other side, what is awaiting for us in heaven. We will live happily ever after. We can't do that in this world. That, that's just a dream. That's fiction in this world. But what we do know because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will live happily ever after. And each chapter will be just one more day of the great story that God has prepared for all of us. But now we live with a tension. There's a tension that we have to live with in this world. God has put in every one of our hearts, He has put in our heart this desire for eternity. He's placed eternity in our heart. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the wisdom writer Solomon speaks of that very thing. There is this desire. Someone else has said it, it's like DNA. God has put DNA inside of us with this desire to continue on and on and on and to live happily ever after because we can't have it in this world. It's impossible to have it in this world, but we can have it in the next world with him in this place Called, called heaven. But the challenge is this. The challenge is this tension that we live between what God has placed in our heart but the reality of this world. Because in this world, there's a tendency by many Christians 
for us to just kind of blend in with the culture, to blend in with society. And so therefore, we can get caught up in the things of this world. We can get caught up with a, a home and a car and a job and a power and prestige and all the things that this world can afford. And these are gifts of God. He did give us things so we can enjoy in this world, but it can also lessen our interest about eternity. It can cause inside of us uh, a, a lacking of concern about what it's going to be like on the on the other side. Even those of us who have a great desire to go to heaven and, and want to see heaven, even inside of us, we, we sometimes don't lack the, the initiative. We may not lack uh, what we need because we're, we're not ready to leave at this particular moment. I'll give you an example. A pastor was uh, leading a, a little Bible study in a little Christian school, and he asked the boys and girls, how many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except one little boy. And he asked the little boy, he said, don't you want to go to heaven? He says, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I thought you were getting a bus load up now to go. All right? And so we, I, I would imagine every one of us feels something like that at some time or another. That, that hey, we want to go to heaven, but we've got some other things we want to do. We, we want to raise our family. Uh, we want to finish high school. We want to finish college. We want to get that good job, have the family. We want to have children, grandchildren. And we, there are places we want to visit. You know, there's vacation spots we have yet to, yet to experience. And so there, there's that tendency that we're, we're really not in a hurry for all of those things. And yet, folks, heaven is not an add-on to our list. It's not that we make a long list and, oh, yeah, at the bottom, I want to go to heaven. No, it's not an add-on. You need to understand, every one of us were designed. We were designed for heaven. God designed us to be there. He put that inside of our heart, this desire. So with that in mind, what is better about heaven? You see the title of my sermon, A Far Better Place. What is better about heaven? Well, as we look at this passage, uh, or this thought, we understand that the Hebrew writer... In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, had this to say. He said, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and, uh, for he has prepared a city for them. He says, God's put this, this desire for this better country in our heart. The writer uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, these words, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what, I, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Which is far better. For some of you English uh, majors, English uh, teachers, Paul was using what is called a triple superlative to describe this departure of our soul and spirit uh, to be with Jesus. It, it should read, much, much, much more better. Now, that, that's poor English for us, all right? But it's a great theological statement. Much, much, much more better. This is what this new country, this new heaven is going to give for us. It is far better. Yes, Paul wanted to go there, but he recognized he needed to stay. He needed to, to continue being a witness. He had letters to still to write. He had churches still to plan. God was still using him. And so, yes, it's better for him to stay here, but he really wanted to be 
with Jesus. That's what our hearts should experience. That, that's what should be a witness in our own life. I have an assignment here. I need to carry out that assignment. But I really want to be with Jesus. I really want to be in the presence of God in heaven. So let's list just quickly seven things about heaven that is far better. Number one, it's a far better government. Far better government. We, we live in an imperfect world because we're imperfect people. We know that our government, not just right now, but throughout its history, it's had its ups and downs. There are no perfect governments, whether it be our country or around the world, no perfect governments. But in heaven, there's going to be a perfect government. Jesus will be our king, and we will love our king, and we will serve our king. Number two, it's far better housing. Now, I know some of you, you have, maybe have a, have a beautiful home, and you love your home. Maybe you designed it, you built it, and whatever, and you designed uh, all of it, and, and you've enjoyed it. It's decorated just the way that you want it. You have the yard fixed the way that you want it. But believe me, in heaven, you will have far better housing. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter, and he always did perfect work. Everything he touched was always perfect. And we'll have far better housing there. Number three, we'll have, we'll have far better relationships. In this world, you may have a good relationship with your husband, your wife, your children, and with friends. We all have had relationships at time that have gone south, that have soured. But in heaven, for sure, there won't be gossip in heaven. And there won't be lying in heaven. And there, and there won't be complaining uh, in heaven. And, we'll, and, and there will be no unwholesome conversation in heaven. And we will have perfect relationships because the most perfect relationship is Jesus. And every one of us will fall in line because of Jesus. Number four, that we'll have a far better body. Now, some of you may not like the body that God gave you. But let me tell you, in heaven, you're going to have the perfect body. That body you've been wishing for is going to be a body made by Jesus. And it's going to be just like Jesus. It's going to be a resurrected body. It will be a perfect body. And for some of us that have a difficulty, you're going to be able to eat and you will never gain any fat in heaven. All right? That, it's going to be a far better place for us. Number five, it's going to be, you're going to have a far better mind. A far better mind. In this world, as we grow older, we struggle with memory. And for some people, they uh, may, may develop Alzheimer's disease. But in heaven, we're going to have the perfect mind. We, we, are, we are going to know as we are known. And we will have a mind that will be able to comprehend the mind of Christ. And there'll be no fear, no worry, no despair. We'll always have a clean and pure mind. Number six, a, a far better scenery. Far better scenery. Some of you, and as I and our family, we've been to some beautiful places in this world. And whether it be at the beach, whether it be in the mountains, whether it be by a lakeside, and for th those of us who have been able to travel overseas uh, to see some beautiful things, it will not compare to the new heaven and the new earth as it will be restored to what paradise was meant to be. And so we'll have far better scenery. And lastly, there's going to be far better things to do. We're, we're going to be worshiping just like we have this morning. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be serving. And we're going to be ruling and reigning. God's going to let us rule over this universe that he has given to us. And believe me, he's going to give us the energy 
and we will never grow tired doing it. Now, those are the things that I think make heaven a far better place, a far better country. So let's conclude our, our, our message today and this whole series by talking about how to prepare for this far better place. How do we prepare for it? I gave some thought to this, and as I pulled together all those resources, and we've talked about uh, Randy's book, we've talked about uh, Robert Jeffers, pastor of First Baptist Dallas, wrote a great book, A Place Called Heaven, and uh, David Dykes, just retired from Green Acres Baptist in Tyler, Texas, wrote a, wrote a book, Travel Guide to Heaven. Uh, even Johnny Erickson Tata uh, wrote a book on heaven a few years ago, and I taught in, on Wednesday nights at, at First Baptist and Travel. So I pulled all this together, and I want to share, because I really believe that how we live here is to be influenced by the heaven we're going to spend eternity in. And it begins with this. First of all, you've got to have the right document. You've got to have the right document. Now, I've been privileged to travel overseas and have been in uh, Nigeria for a mission trip. Uh, I went to Venezuela twice, uh, three times, been to Colombia twice, Ukraine, uh, Puerto Rico, been to Israel. And in all of these places, when I took my passport, that passport was stamped with my home country. It said USA. Now, one time I was in Venezuela, and I, I misplaced my passport. Boy, I panicked. We, we weren't ready to leave, all right? But uh, I, I panicked. I just put it in the wrong pocket and, and had not looked in a certain place. And, uh, and I thought, man, how am I going to get out of this country? How am I going to get back into my country? I'm going to have to go to the, you know, the, the embassy or the consulate, whatever it may have been at that time where we were. But you've got to have a passport to get out of our country, get back in our country. A passport is necessary. But let me tell you what, there's going to be a document that all of us are going to have to have to get into eternity. And that document's going to have to be stamped with this word. It's going to have to be stamped with the word forgiven. It's going to have to be stamped with that word. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified is a theological word. And it means forgiven. It means that we have been declared righteous in the presence of of our great God. And we must have that document stamped with that word forgiven. Over in John, 1 John chapter 5, we are reminded of these words by, by the great apostle writer. And he said, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Is there someone here this morning and you're not sure your document is stamped forgiven? You're, you're just not really sure. The Bible says you can know for sure. It says if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. That means you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and your spiritual passport, that document, has to be stamped with the word forgiven. Last Sunday, we made it clear. Uh, you, you have to admit that you're a sinner and recognize that you can't pay the price of the sin debt was caused by your sin, breaking God's law. Then you have to believe, believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he's God's son, that he is the only answer to the sin debt. And then you confess him as Savior and Lord in a prayer. 
seeking forgiveness of your sin, inviting Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, surrendering your life to him. That's the beginning. And through that experience, then your passport, spiritual passport, is stamped forgiven. Now let's move on. There's something else that uh, we, we will want to have to influence our life, and that is we live with a far better place in mind. We live with a far better place in mind. In this world, we have to live on earth, but we got to prepare for eternity. And so it, it, it can be a, a, a challenge for us thinking with this mindset, recognizing that I only live in this world temporarily. I'm going to live in eternity uh, forever. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. But he goes on to say, and we eagerly await for Jesus Christ. So there's a challenge, but listen to Hebrews 11.13. Those great heroes of our faith. All these people, Abraham, and right on down the line, Noah and all those that were mentioned, all these people were still living in faith when they died. They did not receive the promise. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers or aliens on earth. And it's the same for us. We live in this world that God has provided, and we're to fulfill our responsibilities until we are, are called home. But we should never be entangled in the affairs of this world. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Jonathan Edwards was the great preacher that brought about the first great awakening to the United States back in the early 1700s. And it was because of that first great awakening that our country was founded on Christian principles. Because God moved in the hearts of men and women, and that was transferred into the lives of the children and into the colleges, so many of them that were built at that time, built on theological education, and brought about the American Revolution, brought about our, our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, and 94% of the writings of our founding fathers all made references to Scripture and to God Almighty. Jonathan Edwards started that. And he was a preacher in Northampton, Massachusetts. In his life, he had 47 resolutions. 47 resolutions that he lived by. And he lived by these because he did not want to be entangled in the affairs of this world. And he would often remind himself of those res resolutions to help him to stay on course. That's what we have to do in our life. Number three, remember death is only a doorway. Remember death is only a doorway. One of my favorite movies is Hook. The late Robin Williams playing Peter Pan. And then there was Hook himself. And as I remember that movie, there was the part where Peter Pan and Hook were, were in, in a battle with swords and Peter Pan said to die will be an awfully big adventure. To die will be an awfully big adventure. Why isn't it a, an adventure to us when we think about death? Why is it? Because so often we're unaware of what is awaiting for us on the other side. That's one of the purposes of this, this whole series was to help us to be better prepared to live now in anticipation of the great joy that is going to be ours. So what is it about the, about the fear? Let me give you two reasons why you shouldn't fear. First of all, you're not going to die until God 
approves the time. Let me tell you, you're not going to die before God says, it's your time to die. Now, the Apostle Paul was preaching in Antioch. Acts chapter 13 records it for us. And as he was preaching on the resurrection, he made a comment in, uh, in an illustration going back to the Old Testament in verse 36, Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, meaning he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body uh, decayed. Did, did you hear what he said? David didn't die until God had finished using him in this world. God had a purpose for his life. God has a purpose for all of us. We're not going to die until that purpose has been fulfilled. Now, we need to understand, we, let's don't go out and tempt God. The Bible says we're not to be tempting God. Let's don't go out there and, and, and uh, start living unhealthy lives and living a daredevil kind of existence and life. And, and, and put ourselves uh, on purpose in the face of death. No, that's, that's not what we should be doing. But it is an understanding that our times are in his hands. Psalm 31.15. Uh, uh, King David said this. My times are in your hands. God determines our days and the years of our life. And we rest in that truth. And a second point. Death is a necessary transition from this world to the next. I mean, this is, this is how that we enter into eternity. This is the path that we all travel to be in the very presence of God. And the reason for this, Paul stated why for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Remember, we talked about this early on. The Greek word for death is thanatos. And it means separation. It's the separation of the body from the spirit. Your earth body cannot enter into eternity forever. It cannot enter into heaven. There has to be this spiritual body that he has prepared for us. Now, many of us in this room have been to a prom when we were in high school. And there's some teenagers here, and young adults, teenagers, you remember yours. Some of you are anticipating maybe going to your first prom later this year. And one of the special things about prom is you get to dress up. For one night, you really get to dress up. And, and for the young ladies, they have their prom dress, they're formal, and they do things with their hair and makeup and all of that. They are just beautiful, all right? And then the guy, well, he just does the best he can with the formal wear, all right? He just does, does the best he can. And so here they are, all dressed up, and all the pictures, I've seen them on Facebook, I've seen uh, lots of the pictures through the years, our, our children, our grandchildren, and other people's children, and so I, I've seen beautiful, beautiful pictures. But you know, it's only temporary. Only temporary. When they get home, sometime that night, the young lady takes off the formal, and the young man takes off uh, his, his nice, uh, nice uh, outfit. And uh, for, for the young ladies, the former goes in a closet. <laughs> you know, and for the guy, maybe go back to a, uh, to a shop somewhere. And that's it. It's temporary. But for you and me, we get to take off this inferior clothing. And we put on superior clothing and it's permanent. Amen. We do not have to take it off. Death is just the doorway so that we get rid of 
the inferior clothing and we take on the superior clothing. Now, I admit, I mean, death, death can be painful. And death is the last enemy. As a, as a minister of the gospel, I have been there. I've, I've been by hospital beds. I've been at ICU wards and holding on to the hands of loved ones, to our members and the loved ones of our members. I've been in homes and been there for the death of church members and friends. And, and death is, is not pretty for a lot of folks. There was a survey a few years ago, I'm not sure how accurate it is now, but a few years ago a survey was done, and it says that 10% of us, I mean all of us want to die in our sleep, but only 10% of us will have that opportunity of dying in our sleep. The rest of us, we're going to die some other way. It's going to be an accident. It's going to be maybe a heart issue. It's going to be cancer. It's maybe old age. Our Linda's mom and my mom both died of Alzheimer's disease. And the, the effect of that on their bodies and wasting, wasting away. And for my dad, it was older age, had cancer, and, and uh, couldn't do much else after some just a little bit of surgery and no treatments. And a few months later, he passed. For our Linda's dad, very similar with leukemia. Uh, came back in a vengeance. He was gone within a week. I mean, it's, it's not pretty. It, it can be hard on families. It, it can be... It can be confusing, exhausting. And, and then there is the grief. But can I remind you, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I don't have it in your notes, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 17, that, that these momentary troubles that we go through, when it's compared to eternity, they're lightweight compared to eternity. And recognize whatever death may be for your loved ones and friends and eventually for you. It's the doorway that we can come into his presence. Number, number four, use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. Uh, listen to a prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Seventy years are given us and some may even live to 80. Between the best of these years are often empty. And filled with pain. Soon they disappear and we're gone. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. I'm going to tell you that some of us will remember. And maybe there's, some, again, some students, some children. And some of us that are older, we remember boring days. Our, our uh, oldest grandson plays soccer for University of Mobile. And their last game was Monday afternoon, and, and our, our daughter and her husband, they got to go and, and see his last game. And Tuesday, he called his gram on her birthday Tuesday night, he and his girlfriend. And as they were talking, we asked how his day went. He said, well, it's been kind of boring today. I, I didn't have to go work out. And I told him, I said, grandson, enjoy those boring days. They'll get less and less as you get older. Amen? <laughs> and they do seem boring right now. And if we're not careful, we can let the days waste away. Someone said this, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the more quickly it goes. <laughs> Some of you got it, the rest of you will get it after, probably during Sunday school, all right? Now, Paul expanded on Moses' thoughts. Listen to this, Ephesians 5, 15. Be very careful then how you live, not unwise, but as wise. 
Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Bible says, don't live unwisely, but wise. So are you living unwisely or wisely? Let me, let me give you a little homework. When you go home this afternoon or later this week, think of your three top priorities. This afternoon, I'm going to be in a church over in Montgomery. I'm, I'm assisting them, coaching them in a church revitalization. And I'm going to be asking them what their core values are. Very similar. We give a lot of lip service sometimes our core values, but they're not our real core values. Look at your actions. Look at what you say. What do you do? That's where your core values are. The same thing with your three priorities. And I'll tell you what many of us will find. We put down our three priorities, then ask yourself, how much time are you spending on those priorities? And that'll get your attention. Oh, I think these three are the most important things. How much time? Well, well, yeah, not, not, not very much. Well, then they're not your priorities. What you do, what you say, how you act, that will expose what your real priorities are. I'm not saying what they should be, but what they really are at this particular moment. And you may find that you're wasting time, wasting opportunities. Notice in verse 16, it says, make the most of every opportunity. The word literally means to buy back or buy up. It's an investment. Take advantage of all your opportunities. Buy it up. Use it. Take advantage of what you can at this particular time. Stop wasting time. Why? Because verse 16 says, because the days are evil. Because there's a devil out there that wants to keep you from accomplishing God's purposes. He wants you to waste time. He wants you to waste the opportunities. He entices you with things that keep you sidetracked from the real issues of life. And to keep you pursuing worthless things of this world. So if we're going to prepare for eternity, let's use this time wisely. Quickly, we move on to number five. Limit your regrets. Limit your regrets. Too many of us lose our joy. And we can lose it faster here than any other way. We lose joy because of regrets in our life. Bronnie Ware uh, worked in a palliative care center. This is where people who have terminal illnesses go and spend their last days. And she's heard many death. A, a deathbed confessions and so she put a list together the five top five listen to the top five regrets of the dying number one i wish i had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me number two i wish i hadn't worked so hard number three i wish i had the courage to express my feelings number four i wish i had stayed in touch with my family and number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Regret is like a cancer. It eats away at our soul. It can, it, it can consume the peace of mind. And folks, this is no way to spend the days that God has given you living in regrets. So what's the antidote to it? Recognize today is the first day of the rest of your life. So stop wasting time. Stop living in the past. Stop worrying about what you did or didn't do. Make restitution if you need to, but move on with your life so that you will be able to end your life without regrets. Number six, take care of your responsibilities before going home. 
Take care of your responsibilities before going home. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah told King Hezekiah. 2 Kings 20 verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. Put your house in order because you're going to die. Good advice. Practical advice. Take care of your fears. Uh, affairs. Make funeral arrangements. Our Linda and I have already made ours. I have additional property in Pravel, the Pravel Memorial Funeral Home, all right? We, we took care of that. Insurance, we took care of that. We took care of things so that when, if something should happen to us suddenly or over a period of time, it'll be easier for our kids to be able to take care of our affairs, to do the things that need to be done after we're gone. So it's very, very practical. I know a man who spent his life, his career was financial planning, helping other people. Lived across the street, was a member of our church at one time, but God gave him an opportunity because he was very gifted in some areas of singles ministry, went over to his sister church over in Montgomery. But he had surgery, and he had a blood clot that hit his heart, and he died. Talking to his widow, again, they were neighbors of ours and friends of ours, talking to the widow, he did a wonderful job helping everybody else, but it was discovered he did a poor job, very poor job, taking care of his wife and his family after his death. He did all the planning for everybody else. Didn't plan for himself. The Bible tells us this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So take care of responsibilities. Now let's wrap all this up. Randy Alcorn said this, God loves the heaven-bound, but he is proud of the heaven-minded. I want to remind you, you were made for a person, and you were made for a place. You were made for Jesus, and you were made for heaven. Have you ever, after finishing a meal or maybe a vacation or on a beautiful site, whatever. Have you ever said these words? It doesn't get any better than this. Oh, my friend, it will. It will get better. Because heaven is our home. Let's pray. Father, you have been so good to us through this series. And you have enlightened us with your word, with truth. And today, Father, as we kind of put the bow on the emphasis, what a joy and privilege you have given me to be able to share this with the folks here at Elkdale, those who have been present, those who have been watching by live streaming, those who have been guests who have come in and out. Thank you for the privilege you have given us to, to know more about heaven. And while, Father, we didn't answer all the questions, we've answered enough. We've given us enough. While we would love to know more, your, own, your word only reveals a certain amount. But let it be, Father, what motivates us, inspires us, and encourages us until you call us home. Father, I pray for those of us maybe who have fresh grief. May we have been encouraged by this. For those of us, Father, may have some issues with our life physically, maybe chronic issues or other issues. Again, may we be encouraged. May we not be fearful. 
help all of us, Father, to be sensitive to those that are around us and encourage them in their faith and strengthen their faith and talk more and more about heaven than ever before. Father, if there's someone here who needs to make a decision for Jesus, may this be the day, may this be the day that they come to you, that they admit that they're a sinner, they believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, they confess Him as Savior and Lord. This is our desire and our prayer and our hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.